Welcome back to another edition of Football 24-7 on Jacob Sports. He's John McMullen, and I'm your guy, Tone DeShields II. We appreciate you guys for being here. As always, make sure you guys stay for a long time and make sure you're here for a good time. Continue to smash that like button. Continue to stay engaged while John and I continue to fill you in on your Philadelphia Eagles as they enter, well, as they finish, rather, their fourth day of training camp that has been available to the media members. So, John. How are you feeling this evening, my friend? Um, a big day, man. We got uh, the pads on for the first time. We got drones above practice. We got okay. big nickels showing up. Uh, everything, everything happening today. Big day at Eagles camp. Don't even have variation. to talk about Kelly Green. How about that? <laughs> now you would love that, wouldn't you? You would love that. <laughs> But I like, I, but that's what you like to hear, right? You like hearing all the different, uh, the, the different iterations, the different variations that you see uh, in Eagles training camp. Uh, have you seen some things that you haven't seen in year, in all your years of covering the Philadelphia Eagles? Well, the drone—that's the first time I've ever seen a drone. Uh, yeah, and you know, the the Eagles are kind of been one of these uh, more forward-thinking teams, and if they can get sort of data whether it's video or anything of that nature that they find actionable as what they say they're usually one of the first in line to use it um so it was interesting to see that um and that is yeah that was the first time i've ever seen a drone at practice i, I maybe some other teams have used it uh but first time that i have seen it uh, so there's a first did they indicate what the drone would be used for? Is that to capture any sort of um, footage that they, that they may need to go over, you know, as far as practice? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's another way to capture video, even okay. better um, sort of vantage point than the eye in the sky, so to speak, which is more uh, obviously standstill. Uh, now you can get in and get different angles. And so every kind of um, advantage you can get uh, – the Eagles tried. Oh, Eagles always say everything is so close in the NFL. You try to win outside the margins. So it is a parity-driven league. There's no Alabama versus Woffords at the NFL level. So you know the Eagles look very good now, but things move quickly in this league, and and people can catch up. So they try to look for every little advantage that they can get. Absolutely. So 
you know, before we get into what happened on the field, because I definitely want to talk about what that drone caught, but also I want to get into the press conferences, right? Brian Johnson spoke of Maddox, uh, Kenny Gainwell, uh, Reed Blankenship spoke as well. So um, I want to pick your brain about, you know, what you heard from those guys and is there anything that's this, that stood out to you, especially from Brian Johnson, the new OC? Um, uh, no, Brian was, uh, you know, his typical, uh, self, I think, you know, the relationships, um, he has with the players, I think stands out, you know, Quez Watkins, by the way, Quez called himself an elite receiver today. So Quez kind of feeling himself. Um, <laughs> but he also mentioned, you know, how close the players are to, to Brian Johnson he even said, you know, we're closer to Brian, a lot of us, than we were to Shane Steichen. So hmm. maybe that, you know, connection that Nick Sirianni always preaches, because Jason Kelsey mentioned the other day that Brian was hanging out in the offensive line room. So, you know, that's a positive as well. Uh, typically, you know, the offensive coordinator is so bogged down in the passing game. So seems like he has a good attention to detail trying to, capture the you know the minds of not just the quarterback who is very close to obviously but everybody else because all the small details are important uh but yeah quez was probably the story uh because he you know said he feels he's an elite receiver and you know it's good to have confidence but uh you know, we we see two elite receivers every day. Right. Um, and I think, you know, the goal with Quez is just to get him to be a, a good number three receiver, and the Eagles will take that. And to his credit, by the way, you know, it's only four practices, but he's clearly kept Alameda Zacchaeus at arm's length, so to speak. I mean, he's clearly been the third best receiver. Um but, you know, he's got to bounce back from what was a – and he admitted, by the way, to his credit, that he did not perform up to the level that he wanted to. Now, he also was playing through a shoulder injury, so maybe that affected him. But um, it was interesting uh, to use that term, elite, uh, elite receiver. Yeah, I think Quez needs to focus a little bit more on just being reliable first. Uh, you know, obviously last season wasn't his best. You know, I'll be the first to say it. Um, we all know it. You know, it's no secret. And, you know, he like you said, he openly admitted it. He even mentioned it, I think, in his exit interviews um, at yeah. the end of last season after yeah. that Super Bowl. So um, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, you think about his role as that number three and, you know, his role has changed every single year he's been in the NFL. Uh, the year he was drafted, he was he he was supposed to be behind John Hightower. Then look, he overtook John Hightower and kind of became, I guess, the number three or number two in that moment next to Jalen Rager. And then uh, the year after that, Jalen Rager was supposed to be the number two next to Devontae Smith, but Rager fell out of favor and Quez became the number two. Uh, and then he became the number three when A.J. Brown got here. So he's regularly had to adjust uh, his mentality every single year he's been in the NFL. Do you think that alone can contribute to someone relatively being inconsistent, or do you think it's just as simple as look, see ball, catch ball? Um, well, you know, I think when you're forced into a role, you're probably not ready for, 
um, you know, that can affect uh, because NFL corners tend to be very talented, very gifted, um, especially compared to the college level. So, um, you know, Quez, as you mentioned, was not a number two receiver and he was being asked to perform like a number two receiver. You know, that's why I always say A.J. Brown was so important, not only for what he did on the field uh, and how good a player he is, but he was sort of the final domino. Everything else fell into place. Um, Even Devontae Smith as a rookie, um, you know, was essentially asked to be a number one receiver in the NFL. Now, Devontae's a very good player. um, And ultimately, he'll probably get to that level. Uh, but he wasn't ready for it as a rookie. Uh, but all of a sudden, you know, AJ's number one, he's number two. That's pretty stinking good. Um, and everything kind of fell into place. Um, and that'll get even better uh, if Quez is just consistent. Um, that's all you're looking for. It's not going to get a lot of traffic. But when the ball is there, like it is in the Super Bowl, Got to make that play. Got to make it. Completely agree. Um, circling back to Brian Johnson, if I'm not mistaken, I think you were the one who asked him about Jalen Hurts being that uh, triple threat, right? The uh, yeah, the pass, the run, and the processing. You know, the ability to make uh, the ability to be a, an elite decision maker. Um, I'm, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious. You know, what prompted you to ask him that question, and were you relatively satisfied with the answer? Um, yeah, uh, well, Jalen always talks about it. So he likes to, I think everybody looks at Jalen and says, well, he's a great athlete and, you know, he improved as a passer. But he's most proud of how he's improved as a quarterback, as a processor, as a decision maker. Um, and that's why he calls himself a, a triple threat. And I kind of agree with that. I mean, it's been two practices in a row now where the ball – has barely hit the ground with the first team offense in the passing game. Um, and that's because he's, he's quickly making the decision where the football is supposed to go, getting the football there. And, um, you know, that makes for a very um, on schedule offense. So, um, and Brian's been around, you know, Jalen since he was young, never mind, you know, when he got here, obviously, he got here with Nick Sirianni. So Jalen was already here for a year, but he was the backup. You know, he was the backup when in, in Doug Peterson's last year. Right. So Brian Johnson's been here for almost every step of his improvement as a starting quarterback. Um, and, you know, nobody's seen it closer because he was the guy working with Jalen day to day. Um, you know, the coordinators work with, uh, everybody else. And now Brian has to do that. His job's expanded, but he's, he's seen it um, from that sort of ground zero level uh, over those past two years. And, you know, a lot of it is common sense. And he said, like anything, the more you do something, the more experience you get with it, uh, the easier it becomes for you and the experience you know, starts kicking in and, um, 
it's pretty clear that's what's going on with, with Jalen Hurts, and that should be pretty scary uh, for the rest of the NFL because, you know, as the game slows down for him um, and he's still got those elite-level skills from an athleticism standpoint, um, that's why the Eagles paid him $255 million. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you consider, you know, how he's elevated his game every single year he's had uh, the full-fledged opportunity to be the starter. You know, Brian Johnson said something really interesting, really, really interesting to me that stood out. You know, he said it's important to not only see the picture, but also the puzzle and how the pieces fit together. And that really aligns with how Jalen Hurts plays the game, right? He he's really good at allowing his pieces, allowing the pieces around him to form the larger picture, right? And you know, stand on Jalen Hurts a little longer. What do you think is the next step in Jalen Hurts' development? Uh, do you think it's more so skill set related or more so uh, more so IQ related in terms of processing the game? Um, well, processing is always the most difficult part for any quarterback. I mean, if you think about um, any rookie quarterback, any young quarterback, you'll see the same thing this year with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Um, you know, they're going to have some difficulties. You just you saw it with Trevor Lawrence early in his career. Um, and as the game slows down a little bit for him, um, things get easier. Um, and, you know, but the, the cliche in this league is it's a copycat league, and it is a copycat league, but I always say it's a slow-moving copycat league. So um, that's what the offseason is for. And you can bet, like everybody in the NFC, starting with the 49ers and the Cowboys, have been breaking down Eagles offensive film um, and figuring out what they're, what they were doing. And they're going to try to do everything possible to stop it or slow it down. And you have to evolve. And Brian talked about that as well. And Nick has talked about that. You always have to evolve because if you keep saying, Hey, we were the third ranked offense. We were pretty good. Um, you know, Dallas Goddard doesn't go down to for five games. That's probably two, maybe one. You know, there's not much you need to improve on. But if you stand still, people will catch up. It's one of my concerns with the scheme on defense and the whole Fangio philosophy. I talk about it all the time. So many teams use it now. It's becoming more discernible for the quarterbacks because they 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 see it so much um same thing happens on the other side of the football if you're if you're standing still if you're not evolving people will will catch up it's, it's it fascinates me right prior to the Fangio defense can you, uh, can you think of a defense that was uh as common as the Fangio defense is oh, now yeah. like you said I Tony, mean, it, Tony's Tony's did Tony Dungy's Tampa I mean, too, right? Everybody was running that damn thing. And then it just, but how long do those trends typically last in the NFL? I guess is my, I guess is my real question. How long do these 
copycat tendencies tend to last in, in terms of the Tampa two or the Vic Fangio style? How long did those respective defenses last until other teams, I guess, finally caught up or people just got bored? Um, yeah, not long. Usually has a four or five year span. Um, when teams, it was really Tony's defense. Um, and then Pete Carroll's cover three. Mm. Uh, and now it's Vix. Um, and they generally, I mean, I, I, I don't get why coaches embrace copycats, to be honest. Um, I would, I would take it in a different direction. Um, what would that like be? I, I want to find the guy who's ahead of the curve. Like the Eagles always talk about being ahead of the curve, being ahead. Well, then be ahead of the curve. You know, I, I don't want, I don't want, and Sean Desai might be very, very successful, hmm. but he's, you know, honest. You know, he's a big guy. He's a direct disciple of Vic. Um, and that's what he's playing. And I'm like, uh, all right. Um, is it is it because the game has gotten well? Let me not say the game has gotten simpler. Is it because they're they're trying to simple simplify the game? Is it because the yeah, game it is, is that's a lot of it offensively too because they have less practice time. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot been, of sense. It, it's more college like, so that's where you have RPOs on offense, which are. And people get mad, and I don't know why they get mad. It's very – that's what it's designed. It's a simple offense. It's – its um, and it's there because you don't have a lot of time um, to teach certain things. You know, I had a bunch of offensive coaches tell me that, you know, essentially how the game has shifted from – they don't really teach plays that much anymore. They teach um, concepts. So, in other words, you know, they teach the quarterback, if the free safety does this, you do this, um, and vice versa, instead of, you know, the old school Bill Walsh, West Coast, phone book offense, where you have all these intricate plays. But those were the days of two-a-days, and you could practice all that kind of stuff. You can't practice that anymore. So, okay. Um it's yeah, the game has has been simplified. And Avante Maddox, it was you know, I was talking to Avante today, and I asked him some of the difference between, um, you know, Jonathan and Sean, and he basically said all defenses are basically the same. Now I think he, he did say that you're far. right. Yeah, I think he took it a little bit too far, but that's you know. And what he was talking about is coverage. I mean, coverage is coverage. Cover one, cover two, cover eight. It's same thing, no matter who plays it. It's how you execute it and how you teach it. Um, and the Eagles were really good right up until the second half of the Super Bowl. They right. were the best team running the scheme. And we'll see if they can do it again. So it's fair to say, so it's fair to say with these new defenses now. They're kind of building in, I guess you'll say, uh, off ramps depending on what they're being shown. If you see this, you can either do this or that. If that happens, yeah, concepts, this or that. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, and and well, that offensively, that's the goal. So if the defense do this, you do this, and and you know you have built in sort of um, 
um, corrections depending on what you see. Okay. And and the goal from the defensive perspective from Bick's philosophy is that everything looks the same pre-snap and then post-snap you rotate into the different coverages and it, the whole philosophy is that the quarterback has to take the extra split second to discern what is coming post-snap and that makes it more difficult. And, you know, Nick Sirianni believes it. Uh, Sean McVay, Kevin O'Connell, Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan. So these are the best offensive minds in football. They all have said on the record, this is the most difficult scheme for us to deal with. And that's why they want it run when they become head coaches. Um, people catch up, though. I mean, and it all comes down to talent and execution. I mean, you, you go back to Tony Dungy. You're playing cover, too. Well, he had Derek Brooks, who might be the best cover two linebacker that ever lived. So you can say, I want to I wanna play what Tony's playing, and you don't have Derek Brooks. You know, being able to carry receivers 30 yards down the field, it's not going to look as good. So it's always about talent. It's funny you say that because it makes me think about that 2021 version of Jonathan Gannon's defense. Uh, he clearly lacked the talent that he had in 2022, and the defense really didn't change that much. It was more so the talent. And, you know, that begs the question for me, and I know you say, you know, it's always about talent, but it seems to me because the game has gotten simpler and things are kind of uniform around the NFL, talent even more than ever has been put at the forefront rather than schematics and – play calling and things like that. What would you say to that? Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it is about, and, and Nick is very honest when he says, you know, show me a good coach and I'll show you a bunch of great players. Um, he's very honest about it. Um, and yeah, I mean, Bill Belichick doesn't get dumb when he loses Tom Brady. <laughs> um, football sick, cyclical, and yeah, talent's more important than coaching. But I will say that, uh, you know, professional sports, it's the most important. Coaching is the most important in football than, say, baseball, basketball, hockey, whatever you like. Right. Um, but it's still, if you don't have good players, you can be the best coach and you're not winning. The goal, the problem is, and I have this argument with Jody all the time, Jody's a bottom line guy, bottom line. He doesn't want to hear the context. Um, I'm a context guy. You know, if you, you can't put everybody in a vacuum. So if you give all 32 coaches the exact same team, you would learn who the best coach is. And it's probably going to be Bill or Andy. Um, but that's not how it works. Um, so if you give Bill Belichick four-win talent, he's probably going to get six or seven wins out of it. 
you give a bad coach for one talent, he's probably getting one or two. You know, that's the difference. That's, that's, you know, what good coaches do. No matter what they have, they're probably going to do a little bit better than the average coach or bad, obviously a bad coach. Agreed. You know, shifting the topic a little bit, Hassan Reddick, his contract situation came up today. Now, obviously, he signed the three-year, $45 million deal. Hey, hey, I know, I know, right? <laughs> you would think he'd been here for two or three years, or at least he's in the you would think he was in the last year of the deal, which 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 is why I think you know the, the conversation in and of itself is so fascinating because um he he obviously made it through the first year unscathed, fully healthy, had a career year all across the board. Uh, most sacks he had in his career, most four uh, most forced fumbles. Uh, he was he, he was a wrecking ball. He was a he was he was a war machine on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but today he was asked about his contract situation. Granted, he's in the second year. He signed a three year, forty five million dollar deal. Uh, I think they gave him thirty million guaranteed. So technically, based off the math, he's still in a year of guaranteed money. But I'm curious to know what's what's your thoughts on that situation and. Do you think he is underpaid as of today? Oh, and yeah, also he's, he's widely underpaid. Okay, yeah, you know, that's the problem. You know, Hassan was a good player coming off back to back double digit sack seasons. But and really quickly, John, just to add a little bit more season into that question, when he signed that contract. And you think about the years he came off of the back-to-back double-digit sack seasons, but I think they were like eleven sack, twelve sack seasons. Yeah, so, he was not. I I didn't think he was underpaid at that uh, time. Right at the time at of that signing, time. He, I but agree. He, out, he outperformed the contract. I mean, agreed. He, you look at Daniel Hunter, who's a very good player, uh, was sort of holding in, and he ended up getting seventeen million with the ability to make twenty million. Um, and he's, I believe, the tenth um, edge rusher money-wise in the NFL. Now he's been doing it for a long time um, at a really high level, right. but he also had some injury issues—not last year, but the years prior. Um, but yeah, I mean, Hassan was—I think he was fourth in Defensive Player of the Year voting. Yeah. Um, he had 19 and a half sacks if you yeah. want to go all the way through the Super Bowl. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, he had a phenomenal season. Um, and he is underpaid. And that's one of the things we we're just talking about coaches. One quote that always resonated with me, and I say it, I've said it probably a thousand times over since I heard it. Bill Belichick, uh, not Bill Bell, Bill Parcells used to give sort of advice for um, his guys, his former assistants when they became head coaches, gave him a little bit of advice. Used to be, I think it was 10 sort of bullet points. And one of them is in, in professional football, something is going to happen every day that you don't want to happen. And if you can't deal with it, you better get uh, a new profession you're not going to be able to be a head coach in this league. And that's the kind of stuff. It could be off the field issues. It could be, 
suspension for gambling or, or PEDs, or it could be somebody isn't happy with their contract. Right. And all of a sudden you got somebody penciled in. Think about the Kansas city Chiefs last year. They had a deal worked out with Tyreek Hill. They had a deal worked out with Tyreek Hill. And all of a sudden Devonte Adams gets traded in his deal and Tyreek's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, we got to we, we got <laughs> to talk about this. And all of a sudden, Kansas City can't do it. They got to move on. And they persevered. Um, and to say the least, and won the Super Bowl without, you know, maybe the best home run hitter in football. Um, that's what Bill was kind of talking about. If Hassan shows up and somebody put that in his ear and said, man, I outperformed my contract. Um, you know, the Eagles have been very lucky with these contract situations. Um, but, yeah, he outperformed his contract. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt he's underpaid. You hope he says, all right, we'll talk about it after this season. Right. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, his agents are, you know, it's CAA, so they're pretty high profile. So, you know, they're probably already called Howie, said, look, our guy's underpaid. You know, we got to make an adjustment. I wouldn't be surprised if that call's already been made. Yeah, you know, and, and to be fair to Hassan Reddick, he didn't bring it up. You know, it was brought up to him, so – um, it's not like it's not like he's trying to cause an issue, right? And like you said, the Eagles have been pretty fortunate uh, in regards to their recent con- contract situations, and so far they've landed on the right side of things um, as it stands right now. Um, I want to talk about Cam Jurgens, right? He's obviously competing for the right guard spot against Tyler Steen. Um, I think both of us will agree that he's definitely the leading guy as it stands right now. It's kind of his position to lose if all things remain the same. Um, but I want to talk to you about maybe some one-on-ones, right? He spoke about Jalen Carter and, and going up against him. Um, can you speak on uh, that one-on-one? Um, can you also uh, enlighten us on anything you may uh, know about that uh, about that competition for the right guard spot and anything else you've noticed in the one-on-ones as well? Well, we had, uh, you know, we, as you mentioned, have had four practices open to us, and Cam has taken every single uh, first team snap at right guard. So, I mean, there's no evidence of any competition hmm. right now, but it, it's an inter- interesting situation because, you know, again, back on Sunday when Nick spoke, you know, he again left it open ended. Um, whereas if, and I use the comparison with Nicobe, you know, everybody's behind Nicobe, you know. Now, part of that is they don't really have any competition, but, you know, everybody's lined up behind N'Kobe. Um And with Cam, it's like, well, we, we don't want to shut it down. We don't, we don't, even though, as I said, nobody else is taking a stinking first team snap. Um, now, maybe they have, they're off again tomorrow. Um and they're they're gonna have back to back practices Thursday and Friday. Maybe you get a maintenance day for Kelsey um, on Friday, say, 
and maybe Cam moves to center and you get Tyler Steen some first team reps that way. So it's still early in the process, but until I see anybody else take a first team rep, he's got to be the starting right guard. So um, to me, that competition is overblown at this point. Um, mm. I can't even call it a competition. <clears throat> um, as far as one-on-ones, I mean, you know, he was fine. Um, one, he probably held Jalen Carter, and the other one was uh, a stalemate. But, I mean, that's advantage. You know, on these one-on-one drills, like receivers against defensive backs, it's, you know, you should be winning the majority of your reps as a receiver. Um, and when it comes to pass rushing versus offense, you know, that's really difficult on the offensive lineman. Um, so if you lose a rep here and there, it's not a big deal. Uh, as long as your technique is sound and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, Jalen's going to be difficult for people to deal with, uh, in one-on-ones and, um, he had some good reps and, you know, Milton Williams probably had the best rep, uh, I think it was against, uh, might've been Sua, um, just blew by him, but that's, that's difficult work for the offensive lineman. I mean, Joe Osman, remember Joe, great guy, by the way, used to destroy Jordan Mylotta and one-on-ones just destroyed him. Um, and Joe was a, probably going to make this team when he tore his ACL the one year. But I mean, Jordan's turned into a star player. And a lot of that is the help that Joe Osman gave him. And and Jordan will say that used to call him smoking Joe. (laughs) He used to smoke him like you would not believe uh, because he was so quick and so athletic, but he was undersized. You know, I mean, when you're out on an Island and nobody's helping you, um, Joe Osman can get by anybody, but that's not what football is. So I wouldn't get too worked up about one-on-ones and Stoutland says it all the time. Right. You know, a couple of days ago, we talked about a guy like Nolan Smith, right? And yeah, he's blowing by guys in shorts and, you know, shells, but let's see what he does when the shoulder pads come on and one of those offensive linemen can actually get hands and feet on him. So uh, did Nolan Smith continue to impress, or did he come back to earth a little bit? A um, little bit. I mean, he didn't. He was mainly with second team today, okay. and yet he he didn't stand out as much as he did without pads on. So, um, but as you mentioned, that's probably not a surprise. Um, you know. Not that he's not going to be very, I think he's going to be a very good player um, down the road. But, you know, the luxury with Nolan Smith, the Eagles, he's not going to play a ton. I mean, the Eagles are so deep with Reddick and Sweat and Graham. Um, Those are the main guys. And then Nolan's going to be the fourth guy. So if you picture Nolan Smith and Robert Quinn's role or Patrick Johnson's role, that's that's his role, and he's going to be much better than those guys. Um, and down the road, you hope he develops into a another Hassan Reddick type player. But 
you know, he's got time. There's, there's no need to press the, oh, we got to get Nolan Smith on the field. Um, you know, that's the luxury the Eagles have as a really good team um, that he can sort of just get his feet wet as a rotational player. Um, and I think that will serve him well, so to speak, because if he was forced to play 70% of the snaps, he'd probably have some issues uh, early. And you don't want that. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about I was thinking about the running back position and Kenny Gamble spoke today and, you know, he spoke about how, you know, he's embracing uh, the competition uh, amongst the running backs. And, you know, he's looking to learn from everybody. You know, he, he understands that DeAndre Swift was brought in most likely to uh, expand the, the passing game with the running backs. Uh, I'm curious to know uh, what, you know, what's, what's, what's your thoughts on Kenny Gamble's role with this team right now? And, uh, you know, what's your expectation for him in terms of, uh, expanding his game or improving his game because just from my personal opinion, um, I kind of expected a bigger jump from Kenny Gainwell from year one to year two. Um, it wasn't necessarily that drastic. Not not saying he wasn't an efficient player. He still averaged north of four yards a carry. He was a very efficient player. But I guess I kind of expected a little bit more of a splash from him. Kind of hard to do that with Miles Sanders doing what he did. But, you know, again, um, going back to my original question, you know, what are your overall thoughts on Kenny Gainwell right now um, in, in that running back room? And what are your expectations for him entering year three? Um, I, yeah, Nick's been honest about the running. They're trying to figure out the running back position right now. And right. they are. And he mentioned, you know, don't don't put too much into the rotation and practice because they're just rotating guys through. Right. Trying to get touches. And they, and they have been. Um and I think ultimately, I, I do think that they are going to have a lead back. I, I think the people that are talking about legitimate committees or resting Rashad Penny to keep him healthy, I think that's all nonsense. They are trying to find a lead back. They don't know who the lead back is, and everybody's getting an opportunity, including Trey Sermon. Um and let the best man win, which is kind of rare. You know, people think the NFL is a meritocracy. It really isn't. Usually it's, oh. How high were you drafted? <laughs> yeah, we drafted him in the first round. He's right. going to, you know, he's going to be the guy. Um, and every once in a while you get a Reed Blankenship who's, you know, taken over at safety as an undrafted player, TJ Edwards. Um in the past, obviously recent right. past. Um, but you know, a lot of, a lot of guys don't get an opportunity. Uh, these running backs, everybody seems to be on an even footing, including Kenny Gainwell. Uh, you're right. He didn't have a good year, um, last year, but he had a good ending to the year. Right. And I think the Eagles are hopeful that maybe the, the light went off, um, I, I look at it from the perspective of he's got some size issues. Um, I don't know if he can hold up as a 20 uh, carry a game guy. Um, he does have know. traits. Uh, uh, you know, to be fair to him, he does have traits that you like. I do admire his vision. I do admire uh, yeah, he's a, he's you know, a how tremendous, hard he runs. 
he's a tremendous inside the tackle runner. I it shocks me because you expect him to be he's very patient back there as well. Yeah. And and sometimes he gets lost because he's, you know, a smaller guy. Boston Scott as well. Because he's Boston's not small, he's short, but you know, guys right. guys lose him. Uh same with Gainwell. It's only five eight. Um uh so he's a better inside runner. You've seen the Eagles use him inside the 10. You know, he's got a feel for it. Um, so he's, I think he's a better runner than people realize. He's a good receiver. Now they have a better receiver, though, with Swift. Um, and then you talk about uh, Penny, and we all know in, in short sample sizes what he's been able to do when he when he has been healthy. And, yeah. Maybe maybe the one guy who could say, all right, who could who could hold up under Miles's role last year? Maybe maybe it is Trey Sermon. He's the only guy with the body type and um to handle that kind of, of, of wear and tear. Rashad has it, but Rashad's, you know, it's injury history is what it right. is. Um but I I truly believe the Eagles are telling the truth. They don't know. If, if I were a betting man, I'd, I'd pick Swift. But Likewise. Um, we'll see. I mean, DeAndre's never run for more than six. I think it's 617, maybe 613. That's it. Yeah, that's I true. He, I mean, he was splitting carries with Jamal Williams at the time. splitting. Jamal was the guy. Jamal was the guy. I had this argument with Jody. I mean – Jamal ran. He was, he, for, he was also healthier as well. He was healthier, so he in that short yardage and the touchdown. He was a touchdown guy as well in the red zone. So well, yeah, he yeah, was a touchdown guy. But beyond that, I mean, he had seventeen touchdowns, which is freaking impressive. And I have no I, other than you know maybe Detroit. Obviously, your own team knows you better. Maybe they know the tread, and that's the position. Uh, but he carried it two hundred sixty-two times. With those 17 mm. touchdowns. That's a lead back. Yeah, you're right. That's a lead back. Do the Eagles have anybody who can carry it 262 times? I don't think so. Um, and if it is, it's probably Trey Sermon. <laughs> yeah, like you said, he does He does have the most tread left on the tires. Um, I, I do have a couple more questions for you, but really quickly stand on the running backs for a second. You know, a guy like Trey Sermon – he hasn't really gotten the fairest of shakes during his time in the NFL. I mean, he was in an overcrowded uh, running back room in San Fran. He kind of fell out of favor there, uh, ended up in Philadelphia. Once again, he's in an overcrowded running back room. And he came out of the draft, you know, being considered, you know, one of the more talented backs, you know, coming out of his draft class. And he has great size. Um, and he has very, very fascinating traits. I guess I find it hard, you know, I guess I find it hard to fathom a guy like that has a hard time getting on the football field. Well, that's my one concern when uh, the Eagles got him is that nobody runs the football better than San Francisco. Um, And if they don't want him, that's a red flag to me. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't know what happened. Sometimes it could be something as simple as a personal, you know, issue, Um, you know, Maybe he didn't do what he was supposed to. Maybe he learned from it. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, he's a third round pick and that's, 
relevant for running backs in this era. That's pretty good. That's pretty high. Um, he's certainly gifted. He's certainly big. He's certainly, you know, he played with Jalen Hurts in college, like everybody else. <laughs> they have so many players who played with Jalen in college. Talk, talk about creating an environment so your quarterback can be successful. Yeah. Um, he was at Oklahoma before he went to Ohio State. So um, I think he's more I, I think he's more relevant than people think he is because the head coach seems to like him. Um, and we'll see if it's lip service or not. Uh, but that is the one position where you could give me five names and I'd say, all right, yeah, yeah, I could see it. Um, you know, I put lesser percentages on Boston and, and Trey Sermon, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't fall over and say that's not possible. Um, because they don't have, um, they don't have Miles Sanders. Never mind, you know, Derrick Henry or Christian McCaffrey or whomever you think is the best running back in football. Right. You know, it's funny when you think about the way the running back room is constructed right now. DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny; those guys do have a lengthy injury history so it's funny to think that the three lesser backs on the roster uh have a much have a stronger bill of health so to speak right but then also when you think about it from this perspective with trey sermon because of his style of running because of his build he's more he's more closer to the penny type than the rest of those other backs and if penny is in the philadelphia eagles long-term plans you know for this season that is um and we also again thinking about how penny has gotten hurt in the past Maybe Trey Sermon has a more clearer path to getting some reps during the season than we think. Yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, you know, I talked about Rashad's a guy who's almost got to be the the lead back or, you know, why is he here? Um, that type of thing. Because he's not going to be a third down back. He's not going to be a hurry up back. He's not going to play on special teams. So, you know, I've compared it to, um, you know, Chikwaski Tart last year, you have people saying, well, he's the starting safety. He's the starting safety. He's <laughs> we saw how that turned safety. out. <laughs> yeah. All right. And even better, Anthony Harris, too, because he was the starting safety. Yeah. Right up. He was the starting safety on August 30th for week one. Uh, and then they got CJ Gardner Johnson. He was cut and he was off the team uh, because he wasn't going to help on special teams. Um, so, if Rashad isn't the lead back, it's almost like, why are you keeping him? Right. Um, and, you know, it, but the, a lot of that has to do with Trey Sermon as well. Um, because Trey could be, it, that factors into it as well. Trey could be here for a number of years because you still have him under team control. Now, I say the same thing with, you know, both Penny and Swift, because this is uh, DeAndre's final year on his deal. Right. You know, if those guys play really, really well. They're gone. <laughs> they're gone. And if they play really, really poorly, they're gone. Because you don't want them. The same situation as Miles Sanders. Yeah. Um, so it becomes, you know, you want them to be mediocre so you can get them on the cheap for another deal. 
you know, it behooves you to get a young running back who you're going to have under control for a couple years at least. Best case scenario would be drafting like Miles, and at least you have him for four years. But, um, you know, that factors into it as well. But the Eagles are a Super Bowl team. I talked about this this morning with Jody about tight end and why I think Dan Arnold has better chance than people realize. If this were a five, six win team, I'd say, no, I don't want Dan Arnold. I'll I'll go with the younger guys. But they're a Super Bowl contender. And I I Dan Arnold's gonna make a play for me in a big spot in a game. He's gonna win me a game. Frank Calcaterra isn't. Uh Tyree Jackson isn't. Um because of that experience. Yeah. Super Bowl contender. I want I want a guy like that. Um, if I'm a rebuilding team, I want a young guy. So it, it it's different in what situation you're in, and maybe in the Eagles situation, yeah, they're more likely to keep Rashad Penny because it's you know one one and done Super Bowl or bust. Yeah, I think it's fair to say what the Eagles are doing right now, especially at the running back position, um, they're trying to make sure they have enough bullets in the gun to make sure they hit their mark, regardless if it's a dud or not. Um, I want to transition uh, to the safety position, specific, uh, specifically Ryu Blankenship. Um, he's a guy who that's always fascinated me, especially since he made his debut uh, against the Green Bay Packers and how steady he's always been. You know, he's not the most athletic guy in the world, but – he understands the position. He understands what's asked of him, and he's hardly uh, in the wrong place. You know, I'm curious to know what you know. What did you get from his um, his uh, press conference today? And also, um, what do you think the Eagles believe uh, the upside is for a guy like Reed Blankenship? Because again, there have been guys that have been undrafted that have made tremendous strides in their career. Not saying Reed Blankenship is a future Hall of Famer, but there are undrafted guys who have made the Pro Football Hall of Fame, or they've been Pro Bowlers, or you know, even all pros, right? So I'm just curious, again, like when it comes to replay shit. Yeah, you know, I you know, covered you know. one, John Randall. Uh, yeah. When the draft was 12 rounds, he wasn't drafted. The draft was, let me repeat that. The draft was t- 12 rounds. Right. So the draft was drafted in the eighth round. Yeah, he wasn't drafted, and he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, now that's very, very rare. Um, but yeah, I mean, Reed, Reed's like, Entrenched, it's yeah. amazing. Reed has taken every first team rep. He's a fascinating prospect. Um, it's the other guys, Terrell Edmonds, Kayvon Wallace, one of the biggest surprises at camp. Kayvon's getting a lot of run, uh, not only with the first team, but yeah. the big, ne- big nickel. I don't know how Sean I feel Desai, about that, actually. <laughs> Sean Desai evidently sees something in him. Um, he's trending in a positive direction. Um, and it looks like Terrell Edmonds is trending in a negative direction, at least by the reps. Um, and we'll see. They they unveiled the big nickel for the first time today. So it was Kayvon and Terrell Edmonds and Sidney Brown with the backups a little bit playing sort of a hybrid linebacker safety role, right. which could explain the lack of linebackers if they're going to play three safeties. Um that could explain why they don't care about the lack of linebackers, but um, 
Reed's a guy, man. Reed's a guy. It's pretty amazing. Um, and yeah, he's a very smart player. Um, you know, the one thing, and this is probably apropos to talk about Reed because when the when the coaches noticed him last year is when the pads came on. Um, he set himself apart. Um, and the pads came on today. Um, and he's a very smart player. Played five years in college. Um, Middle as Tennessee, a right? Starter. Yeah, Middle Tennessee. He was a five-year starter. So, you know, got a ton of experience at that level. Just knows how to play football. And you saw it with Aaron Rodgers, you know. There's one undrafted rookie to intercept Aaron Rodgers. It's Reed Blankenship. Um, he's just really smart, understands uh, where he's supposed to be. And right now he is entrenched as an Eagle starter. Right. The 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 only safety I can only other safety I can think of um that went to Middle Tennessee like Rebellionship is Kevin Byer. You know, he plays for the Titans and he's been a pro bowler and all pro for that team. He was drafted. Yeah, safety you, man. He right. replaced Kevin Byard at middle. Right. He was drafted in the third round, uh, the 64th pick. And, you know, when you think about it from that perspective, maybe, like you said, safety you, right? <laughs> maybe there's some untapped potential where Reed Blankenship, you know, can somehow access that. Because, again, like we said, maybe he's not the most athletic, right? He doesn't jump off the screen physically. But I think he has decent size. Um, he plays the position. He, under, he understands the position very well. And I think that'll take you much further than athleticism. I'd much rather take a guy that knows where to be than a guy who doesn't know where to be and he can run a 4-3 or a 4-4. Well, and, the, and the, the other part to that is, and this is something I've never understood, and I try to explain to people all the time, the world doesn't stop when you get drafted. Um, you you get totally an NFL, that. you get in an NFL program, you get with NFL strength and conditioning coaches. You no longer have to worry about um, other stuff, um, ancillary stuff. Your job is now professional football, and you can work on your body and. TJ is a perfect, TJ Edwards is a perfect example. If you saw TJ Edwards and I saw him the first day he walked into that building and the last day he walked out of that building, physically, completely, completely different guy, physically. Um, I'm not saying, you know, he ran a 487, which is a disaster. Right. Um, a couple of things. He had a bad day. He never ran a 487. He had a bad day. If he ran the next day, probably would have been four seven five. Still bad, but not terrible. Um, because he's not a fast guy, never a fast guy. But as a linebacker, it 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 and I always say this with Jack Del Rio, who's one of the smartest linebackers I ever covered. Um, you know, Jack couldn't run a lick for a linebacker, but he was one of the best zone linebackers I ever saw because he knew where to be, he knew what spot to be at. He had a tremendous football IQ. He had a tremendous savvy in pass coverage. Turned into a pro ball linebacker. Um, same thing with TJ. 
Um, you run a four four and take a false step as a linebacker, it's over. Guy run a four seven that doesn't take a four uh false step, I'll take that guy 99 times out of 100. Um, that's a very instinctive position, safety, same way, not to the same level because you gotta you gotta cover some ground as a safety, you need some athleticism, but. If you're ma- if you're taking false steps, you're in trouble. Versus the guy who knows what he's doing, um, and Reed knows knows what he's doing for the most part. Still a young player, still got room to grow, but he's very smart. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you if you could limit the false steps, you know that can work in your favor and that can compensate. Uh, for the lack of athleticism, man, like you said, there these guys are these guys are going to continue to grow into their bodies. And uh, Reed Blankenship is a guy who has all has enough experience at that safety position in college that can potentially translate to the NFL. We saw it last year, um, so hopefully things can can continue to trend in the right direction for him. Um, last thing before we get out of here, John, can you give us any updates uh, on the injury front, and specifically, can you tap into? Um, Avante Maddox and how he's looked as well, you know, coming back, coming back from the toe injury. Um, uh, very healthy as a whole. Deion Kane did not practice today. He was, you know, he banged himself up on Sunday, but okay. I saw him on the field. Uh, he seems fine. He's got a, a little bit of an ankle, uh, but we're really serious. They wouldn't let him be on the field. So it's probably more of a precaution thing. Um, Everybody else, Hassan's still working back from his groin. He's, right. he's at practice, but he's limited, not doing teamwork. Avante's at practice, limited. Um, a little bit of teamwork, but not much. Um, and there's a third. Oh, Derek Barnett is still limited coming back from his ACL surgery. So that's it. Very healthy team. Avante spoke today. Avante's very close from being a uh, for being a full go. So is Hassan. Okay. Um, and for those, there's a lot of people saying because uh, uh, Avante had some injury issues last year. It's not a new injury. It's the same injuries coming back from uh, toe surgery that he played through uh, in the run to the Super Bowl. He missed the divisional round, came back for the championship game in the Super Bowl. Um, he knew he would have to have surgery. He was playing with a plate in his shoe, um, and he had it after the Super Bowl. Um, so he'll be back. He's fine. Um, and that's a good thing because he's one of the best slot corners in uh, the NFL. Make sure you guys continue to hit that like button and stay engaged. This is football 24-7 with John McMullen, and I'm your guy, Tony DeShields the second. Before we get out of here, John, um, can you uh, give us any updates on the upcoming Philadelphia Eagles schedule and also anything that you may have um, coming out on the horizon on Jacob Sports and Sports Illustrated? Um, well, my practice notes are, are up at SI. You can read them uh, every day when the Eagles have uh, an open practice, um, which is, you know, rare <laughs> these days. But uh, tomorrow, uh, players day off completely. Um, no walkthrough, no nothing. So the players have a day off and then uh, two consecutive days for the first time, Thursday and Friday, um, they will uh, practice both days. um, And we'll see that that's where you might 
see one of the maintenance days for some of the veteran players like Jason Kelsey, Fletcher Cox, the, you know, the, the normal rotation. They haven't needed that because they've set up the schedule to basically have a lot of walkthroughs in between practices or off days. Uh, Sunday is the one open practice for fans at Lincoln Financial Field. That's Sunday night. Uh, Seven o'clock is where practice uh, uh, is. Um, And that's the rest of the week. Um, They've set it up, you know, very few back-to-backs. Remember, they only have nine training camp practices, technically. Um, So if you want to look into next week, they're – off Monday after the Lincoln Financial Field practice. They have a walkthrough on Tuesday, and they don't have a full practice till Wednesday, and they have back-to-backs again Wednesday and Thursday. And that's it before the first preseason game. And that's essentially it. Then, technically, that's the training camp portion. Now, they have the joint practices. That's the most important practices of the year. Um Cleveland coming in for two days, the Colts coming in for one day, and that those will be the most important practices and honestly more important than the preseason games. So the Eagles don't have to travel for their drum practices. That's, that's a good thing. Now, both of them are here. It's a very good thing for me. Very good thing. <laughs> you guys heard it here first from John McMullen, and I'm your guy, Tony DeShields the second. You guys have been locked in on Football 24-7 on Jacob Sports. Make sure you guys continue to stay locked in on the content. Smash that like button. Make sure you guys also comment below after the fact if you can't watch this live. We want to make sure you guys are always being catered to. There's so much content on Jacob Sports. Make sure you guys continue to stay locked in on the content. Also, if you're new, make sure you guys subscribe to the content, especially if you like what you see, if you like what you heard. You know, me and John, we're two pretty dudes. So make sure you guys continue Mm. to stay uh, engaged with us as well. Uh, We're going to try to keep you guys abreast on your Philadelphia Eagles, as always, on Football 24-7. So, again, like that, hit that like button, smash that that subscribe button as well. I'm Tony DeShost II. He's John McMullen, and this has been Football 24-7. Take care, guys.